Morris is going to be speaking to us, concluding sort of our initial introduction series of talks uh, in, in Grow. So we're going to read the Bible together first. So if you have a Bible or if you've got an app on your phone and you want to get that out now, um, if not, it's going to come up on the screen. We're turning to Revelation 18, and I'm going to read that for us now. Everybody ready? Yeah. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so you, that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury that she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Pete's going to unpack that for us. I, I wasn't expecting that sort of reading, but there we go. Pete, over to you, mate. <laughs> Morning, everyone. God, somebody, that, that felt like there was a hush across the room as we're reading that. But don't worry, I'm going to explain and uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll dive into this. Um, I, I don't know if you remember, but several years ago, there was a uh, series on Channel 4 um, called Educating Yorkshire. Does anyone, does anyone remember that? Great. Um, it was, for those of you who maybe don't know, it was a kind of fly-on-the-wall documentary about educating Yorkshire um, and the daily challenges of teaching in some of our state schools. And one of the stories that it followed was of a young chap called Musharraf who had a severe stammer. Uh, and his English teacher, Mr. Barton, oh, Burton, sorry. And Musharraf could, could barely get more than a few words out. Um, and he said at one point in the series, inside, I feel like an idiot. And Mr. Burton's relentless encouragement leads to this emotionally charged climax at the end of the series, where after lots of work, Musharraf reads out an entire speech in front of his school. Does anyone remember watching this? I don't think there was a, I mean, we were crying in our house. I mean, yeah, it was really, really moving. Musharraf believed one story about himself that said, I can't do it. I'm an idiot. Mr. Burton, on the other hand, had the courage to believe a different story for him. The stories that we tell ourselves are incredibly powerful but the stories also that our culture tells us are even more powerful than the ones that we tell ourselves. If you are sat here this morning as a follower of Jesus, you are invited to live in God's story. God invites every one of us to live a life of defiant discipleship, where we don't allow the stories of our culture to shape us into their own image, but we allow God's story to shape us uh, instead. Now, onto this slightly uh, intimidating passage that we've just heard read to us. This is from uh, the last book of the Bible, and it's called Revelation. And in the second half of this book, uh, it describes two kingdoms that tell very, very different stories. The first kingdom is the kingdom of God, the place and space where God, what God wants is done, full of goodness and peace and joy. And that is the destination of God's people, renewal, redemption, the whole created order being completely renewed, including you and me. 
And the other kingdom that's described is uh, the kingdom of Babylon. And Babylon is kind of biblical shorthand for all human ugliness, selfishness, greed, envy. Ultimately, Babylon is shorthand for a picture of humanity that is turned in on itself. In the kind of first century as well, towards the end of the first century, when this book was written, um, it also was designed to capture something of the Roman Empire, which was trying to stamp out this fledgling Jesus movement at the end of the first century. Now, what on earth does that mean to you and me? We live between these two kingdoms, the coming kingdom of God and the kingdom of Babylon. And Revelation 18 is God's encouragement to his people now not to collude with Babylon, but to belong to the kingdom of God. And Babylon isn't just this kind of ancient picture of a long-gone kingdom. Babylon is still alive today. The name may have changed, but the stories it tells are just the same. Revelation, as a book, is this invitation to live in God's story rather than the stories that Babylon tells. And that's been at the heart of Grow. The heart of Grow is to help each of us live in the story of God and to develop as disciples of Jesus. But this, to live in God's story, takes huge courage, especially in our kind of cultural moment when whilst Christianity, according to census data, might be kind of uh, the kind of demographic majority, we are very much now a cultural minority. It takes courage, a defiant disciple of Jesus, to live this alternative story. And I was trying to think, what's a good example of trying to communicate how how we do that, how we live in this different story. And um, this is the best example I can come up with. Um, So it's going to get very, very serious for a moment. But I would like to know, if you are a true Devonian, will the true Devonians please stand up? Um, You don't have to literally stand up if you don't want to. Oh, you can. Yeah, go for it. True Devonian. If you've been born and bred in Devon, amazing. Okay, fantastic. You may sit down. That's excellent. Um, if you are from Devon and you've been born in this great county, as, I mean, I'm already standing up, but yes, I'm a true Devonian as well. Um, you know the right way to put cream and jam on a scone, right? Because there's the right way and there's the wrong way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're from Cornwall. Sorry. You're on our turf now. But uh, <laughs> it's not hard. It goes on one particular way. But (laughs) imagine that you're a Devonian and you move across the border to Cornwall and you live in secrecy. You've left your native homeland to the place where part of the whole created order has fallen apart and people put on jam before they put on cream. And you're secretly there ordering the cream before the jam. That would take a lot of courage, wouldn't it? That would take a lot of courage to live differently in a society and a place which prefers things perhaps a different way. It's the best example I can come up with. Um, uh, Thank you, thank you. See, I knew it would get a lot of passion. I knew that would get a lot of passion. Good, good. Um, But I'd like to paint a picture for you of what defiant disciples who live in the story of God look like. And this is not me saying, hello, everyone. This is what I'm doing. You need to come up to where I am. I am very much preaching to my own soul, okay? So I'm with you, but I want to describe something that I want us as a community to aspire to. 
So what does it look like to be a defiant disciple in a culture that is very sometimes challenging? Well, the first thing to say is defiant disciples question their culture. There are so many stories that our culture tells us that are not compatible with God's story. But like you, I struggle to see them sometimes because I am also part of the culture. It's like Matt's uh, story recently about the fish who asked the other fish, how's the water, boys? And they were like, well, what's water? It's just, it's the air we breathe. How do we discern God's story from the, the stories of our culture? And I just want to highlight briefly two stories that are so prevalent in our culture. Um, and that is the story of individualism and consumerism. And the story of individualism says to us, you and I are the primary reality in the universe. Your interests and your goals must be pursued above anything else and everyone else. On the other hand, the sociologist Colin Campbell said that the guiding story of consumerism is I shop, therefore I am. I find it fascinating that in verse 7 from what we heard, Babylon is described as a kingdom that gives glory and luxury to, us, to itself. When we align ourselves with those two stories, we dehumanize ourselves. The story of consumerism, for example, wants you to be reduced to what you own, whereas the story of God wants to elevate you to the reality of who owns you. I'm not saying that there are aspects of individualism and consumerism that aren't helpful. God invites humanity in Genesis 2 to consume and enjoy creation, but the story of Babylon that it tells are often a twisted truth. They take something that's true in part and make it the whole truth, which is why they're so hard to detect and uproot. Defiant discipleship starts by questioning our culture. What does God's story say about this particular part of our, question, uh, of our culture rather than just accepting the status quo? It's really hard to do. And like we say, this kind of courage needed about the scones to live across the border, as it were, to live somewhere different to your own culture is incredibly hard. And defiant disciples also live courageously. To live in God's story instead of the prevailing stories of our culture takes huge courage, real courage. And someone who sticks out in my mind who did this was Martin Luther King. And he was a defiant disciple who lived courageously. And on the 28th of August earlier this year, it was the 60th anniversary of his famous I Have a Dream speech. And at one point in his speech, he said this. It's going to come up on the screen. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into a oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they'll be not judged by the color of their skin, but by their character. King grew up in the in a midst of a time where the cultural story was that some human beings were to be treated differently based on the color of their skin. And in this bit of his speech, King describes his dream of a different story that sees an end to racial segregation. And King was describing a story that is rooted in the first few chapters of Scripture in Genesis 2, where the whole of humanity are made in God's image and equal before him. What makes him so defiant is that 
Over the course of his life, King received multiple threats on his life and, of course, ultimately was assassinated in 1968. It takes huge courage to live and believe God's story, let alone a different story to the one that our culture tells. And I guess part of the other question is, how do we live then between these two kingdoms? I think defiant disciples neither assimilate to their culture nor isolate themselves from culture. So the second half of Revelation, where chapter 18 is situated, it paints a picture of how we belong to this kingdom of God, but currently live in Babylon. This is nothing new to the people of God. At the time of Jesus, uh, the Jewish people lived under foreign occupation. Different groups responded differently to this within Judaism. Some withdrew, isolating themselves, and some chose to blend in and assimilate with culture. Neither are a good option for God's people. What does it look like? How can defiant disciples be in Babylon and sing about the coming kingdom of God? Just yesterday, I was in Sainsbury's with Evie and Ella, which is just, I don't recommend to anyone taking two small children around a supermarket uh, unsupervised by your wife, um, because it's just carnage. I didn't realize at one point, Ella was just sat sat in the trolley. I thought she was just being quiet, but no, she'd already opened the bag of olives, or the packet of olives, and was just chomping through about. <laughs> anyway, um, that's a little aside. Um, but as we were walking around, suddenly Evie started singing the song God is Good by um, Worship for Everyone, which we've been singing at the fore quite a lot. And my instinct was to shush her. I was like, and she was like, why can't I sing? And I was like, you're, I mean, you're shouting it more than you are singing it. But maybe not everyone wants to. And I suddenly realized what I was doing. Why should I quieten her down when she sings God's story in Babylon? Jesus didn't withdraw from the culture. He moved towards it. It was precisely people's messiness and brokenness that motivated his action. Just yesterday, as well, I was reading a story about a woman called Sarah Miller. She lives in New York, and she chose to move towards the brokenness of that city instead of away from it. Usually people um, start their careers, as I understand, in the middle of New York, in the cheaper places to live, and gradually move out towards the kind of wealthier suburbs. Instead, uh, motivated by Isaiah 58, Sarah moved to uh, the South Bronx with some of her friends, where two-thirds of the adults are unemployed and half the children live below the poverty line. They realized that most of the children there had no one looking after them, perhaps maybe a guardian if they were lucky, but most parents were perhaps working multiple jobs. So they started giving these kids snacks after school, helping them with their homework, feeding them dinner, and even putting them to bed in some of their own homes every night. This is exactly what Jesus invites us to do, and it's what he does. In John 1, in the message, it says this, says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We don't withdraw from people's messiness. We move towards it, motivated by the same love that was in Jesus. I finally, just uh, defiant disciples tell a different story. And we haven't really kind of talked about what that story is, but I'm assuming that we're getting to know it as we grow as disciples of Jesus, but as well as living in God's story, defiant disciples tell a different story. 
And part of Bay's vision, you've probably heard us talk about, is to see society transformed. And part of that is about telling a different story over the Bay. And for some of us who've maybe grown up in the Bay, you'll know the stories that have been spoken over this area. And I know what it's like to grow up in a town like Torquay in Devon. I grew up in a, a market town the other side of Devon where just low aspiration and apathy were just everywhere. And I remember a college lecturer uh, telling me that, um, I was from Tiverton, I am from Tiverton rather, um, but I remember her telling me that Tiverton was like a, <laughs> a plug hole and a sink where people try to get to the edge of it only to find themselves drawn back down into Tiverton, <laughs> which that was the town's story. Like she just had the confidence to articulate it, but that was what a lot of people believed and a lot of young people believed. Back in April, um, some of the prayer crew asked God to show them the stories that have been spoken over the bay over the decades and what his replacement story is for the bay. And some of the stories that we felt like God was showing us was a story of apathy, like the sense of it would just always be this way. It's always been like this. But God's saying that he wants to give people a reason to wake up, fresh joy. We felt like God was saying there's a story of hopelessness, but God wanting to give life in abundance to let people know that nothing is hopeless, nothing is irredeemable. And one of the other things that we felt like God was saying was that there was a, a kind of absence of belonging across the bay, like no one feeling at home anywhere, and a sense of God wanting to use bay to be a home for those looking for it. It takes a long time to change the stories over an area, over a people group, whatever it might be. It takes so long, and this is not, it's not unfamiliar territory for God. At the fore, we've been walking through Exodus and the story uh, of Exodus. And if you know that story, you know that God gets his enslaved people out of Egypt and starts leading them to the land that he's promised them. And that journey from Egypt to the promised land should have just taken 11 days. Instead, it took them 40 years. It took 40 days for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And it's the same for each of us, whether that's the personal stories that we've spoken over ourselves, the stories for an area, it takes time. But as we lean into more of God's story through things like grow, we find ourselves unlearning the ways of Babylon, the stories of Babylon that have uh, come into our minds and come into our culture. And as we kind of draw to a close, my invitation to you this morning is, I wonder whether this needs to start with us actually repenting, which sounds like a scary word, but it's simply going from one direction and turning towards another. And the sense that, I don't know about you, but it's going to start with me too, so I'm going to get down here as well. But a sense of where we've colluded with culture, where we've allowed culture to set the story and not God's, uh, not God's story. Maybe there's a, an opportunity now for us to say, God, we, have, we, know where we've, we know where we've been walking, but we want to walk in your ways, not the story of the culture. So the worship band um, are going to come up, and if, um, the prayer ministry team, uh, you just want to come and be available as well. But it's going to be a, just an opportunity to be prayed for. 
So why don't we just stand together and we'll just wait on God's spirit for a moment.